1: You're listening to the Wes and Walker show. Here are the two bad ones because you're an offensive lineman because <laughs> you're a left tackle. There's uh-huh. a couple that pertain there. Yeah. What about the offensive grapple?
2: It's Wes. No, oh, yeah. hell no. Yeah, that's not, that's <laughs> awful. That sounds like something your grandmother would come up with. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the offensive grapple. Yeah, I'm not even walking out to that. And Walker. This one's even worse than offensive grapple. Are okay. right,
1: you ready? Wessel Yeah. Mm. No, hell no. Oh, yeah. I'm embarrassed to even bring that to the airwaves. Yeah. (laughs) Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. Oh, that's fire. I don't care (laughs) who you say.
2: You get over the Mondays for a few hours at least. It's the West and Walker Show, Sports Radio 927 WFNZ. Text line has been popping, keep those coming 704 57 on 9610. Hit that follow button, all the good behind the scenes footage, or all the stuff that you hear but don't necessarily get to see, like War Cry Wednesday and all that good stuff. Follow us on the WFNZ Twitter and Instagram at West Bryan underscore 72 at HTB underscore josh and at walker mail on twitter and instagram and most importantly at Wesson walker on twitter hit that follow button all right so now getting back into the conversation as walker said it's been a while but let's not delay it any longer it is time to go to the campus corner all right The North Carolina Tar Heels continued their winning ways. They've won 10 in a row. They're 9-0 in the ACC after they took out Florida State, who was a feisty bunch, those Seminoles were. But Carolina became the first team to win 750 regular season ACC games. And I don't know, for the ninth time and the first time since starting 11-0 in league play in 2000, 2001, 5-0 on the road, despite tying its season high with 17 turnovers. The Seminoles made them pay for those. They scored 26 points off of those, the most by any opponent this season, but Carolina beat them on the boards. They allowed 70 points or fewer in 10 straight games for the first time since 2006, 2007. He got 24 big points from R.J. Davis and Elliott Cadeau scored a season high 6 points he had a he had 14 in the previous game versus way force that's the first time he scored in double figures in consecutive games as a tar heel what do we make of unc finding ways to win no matter how they have to do it this time on the road against a feisty florida state
1: that i trust them more than i've trusted them in quite some time when we get to the second half I know R.J. Davis is going to have the shot-making down. Trust that guy to make any shot that he takes. There could be a bad shot selection, and I might get frustrated by it initially, and then I remember, oh, wait, that's R.J. Davis. He's been doing nothing but hitting clutch shots all season long. You also go to Harrison Ingram, who has been doing nothing but making the right play constantly, and a lot of these things are effort plays, whether it be rebounding or whether it be going after a block in the final seconds of a potential close shot attempt whether it be um, some of the clutch threes that they've hit here lately, like Cormac Ryan. And he struggled at times, but how about his couple he threes? some big
2: threes in the second half. Well, at
1: the beginning of the second half, too, when Florida State was up on them, I trust this North Carolina team to get right every single game in the second half. And it doesn't mean that they're just going to win the rest of the way, but I just trust them more than I've trusted a Carolina team in quite some time. And I do want to go through this, too. A couple of thoughts. How much would Roy Williams love coaching Harrison Ingram? I mean, would, would, would Roy Williams just, like, have a shrine to Harrison? Out of all of the great players that he's coached, we know that Roy also loves his players as much as any coach out there. I, I feel like Harrison Ingram is the type of guy that Roy would have a shrine for, and I'm sure that's also true of Hubert Davis. The other thing here is, is this guy just the best rebounding wing that Carolina basketball has seen and I don't know, the last... Is it ever like 20, 20 years? Antron Jameson, people might argue about because he played wing in the NBA, but he was down low for the most part in college. Uh, Fiddy, help me out here. Like, is there anybody that reminds you or is in the same stratosphere as far as a rebounding wing goes? I I was looking up some of the stats and I couldn't find anybody, at least in the last 10.
3: Yeah, no, I deferred to Colin Hoggard back on Charlotte Sports today. Myron Goodman texted in telling us George Lynch. I thought Reggie Bullock for a wing was a really good rebounder. Averaged over like six rebounds per game. But Harrison's averaging over 11 in ACC play. He's actually averaging more rebounds than points in conference play. And the thing that blows my mind is that he'll come 10, 15 feet out of nowhere, and he's the one getting the ball. He has to change his uniform at halftime.
1: They're fun rebounds, man. Because
3: of how much he sweats during the course of the game and – um, you know what? He, I mean, 17 boards on the road at Florida State, 19 boards on the road at NC State. I need a cigarette when I get done watching him, re- <laughs> when I get done watching him rebound, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, and so
2: you're talking about that. He had 13 points, 17 rebounds, three steals, and a block shot. You talk about stuff in the stat sheet, and it was his sixth double-double uh, of the season and the sixth time in the last eight games that he's had 10 or more rebounds. And so. Your boy got up and did a little bit research this morning, and so I asked myself the question with the way – and Walker, I got to give you your flowers once again on calling it with Ingram because I certainly didn't see it at first, the impact that he was going to have. Thank you. But I asked myself, I said, is he Carolina's second-best player? And why do I ask this? Because you look at Armando Baycott, five points in each of the last two games, still waiting on him to put together this dominant performance on a consistent basis. And during this 10-game win streak, Baycott is averaging 12 points Five points per game in the last two games, uh, around nine rebounds, but he's getting it done blocking shots, and he's shooting 55% from the field. Ingram's at 10 points per game, 11 rebounds, 38% from three. Uh, He's a little under a block per contest, and field goal percentage is not quite as efficient. He's around 38.5% from the field there. But with everything that he does, do you think that Ingram is Carolina's second best player?
1: I was having this conversation with Fiddy and Flounder at Graham Street Pub, I guess what is now a couple of weeks ago. Already, hey, is Harrison the second best player for this team? I think he has cemented himself into that role right now. And I'm not telling you that he's the second, has the second best history on the squad. Mm -hmm. Armando has that. He's got too many accolades to put Harrison above Armando on the all-time list, right? But Harrison's a more impactful player for this team than Armando is right now. And that's not to throw shade. I think defensively, Armando still matters a lot. I think his defense has improved a ton. I think he's had to change his role. But, Wes, it doesn't matter what you ask of Harrison Ingram. He's got the ability to do it. I'm looking at his game log throughout the entire year. He went through every single game reaching double digit in points in 2023. He had the weird three game stretch where he got seven, nine and nine to start conference play. And he's only 11, 10, 11, 10, 13. The scoring has gone down, but the rebounding had just shot up. There's only been two games where he's had single digit rebounds and he's throwing some monster numbers up there on the boards. 15, 19, 17, 14. This guy can change the way he plays midway through the season. He's got, I thought the three-point percentage was going to suffer this year, but he's shooting over 40% from three. I, I I, have to tell you, R.J. Davis is number one, and Harrison Ingram is the second most impactful player that the North Carolina Tar Heels have on their roster. Brady,
2: right what is your thoughts on that? And what's your trust factor in Armando Baycott at this point? Because one thing I'm looking at, too, when they get into the tournament, let's say you have to face... You get to the final four and you got to face a Zach Edey or somebody like that where you need that production from the paint. How much do you trust Armando right now?
3: I mean, look, th- there's no denying I think he's adjusting to not being the primary focus offensively. Um, but it's not taking him away from being an elite defender. And he's defending pick and rolls at an elite level. His ability yeah, to recover and block shots have been absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Walker, tell me if this is a stretch too far. You go back to that 2017 national title team, Isaiah Hicks was an enigma, man. Like, there were nights he would play well, there were nights he would disappear. But I said all year long, for them to win a national championship, they were going to need him. He made the bucket in the game to put them, I think, up four over Gonzaga. They're going to win the national championship. If Carolina's going to reach the Final Four, if they're going to cut down the nets, they're going to need him. Harrison Ingram? Uh, No. Or Isaiah Hicks when you were gone. Yeah, Yeah. so so I I feel like my trust is there with Armando because I know how much this guy wants to win. He came back to repair his image. He didn't want to go out being a loser. So I don't think he cares about his individual statistics and accolades. He wants North Carolina to win. And as long as that's the primary focus for him, when this team needs him, I think he's going to show up and – That might be this Saturday in a top seven matchup at home against Duke.
1: Yeah, we can keep it simple. I think Armando has earned the benefit of the doubt as an important college basketball player that will deliver in big moments. I think we've seen that throughout his tenure there. Now, last year didn't really happen, but remember, I don't know how much of that was Armando's fault, right? That was because they had a backcourt crisis and they didn't know what their identity was in the backcourt between Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. You fix that by Caleb leaving for Arizona and bringing in the right transfers, and Armando has to change a little bit. But I do give Armando the benefit of the doubt for showing up in the big-time games, and I completely agree with that. All
2: right, so moving on to the Duke Blue Devils, and you look at what they did this weekend – 11 ties, 12 lead changes. The final lead came on a pair of free throws by Tyrese Proctor. Uh, Duke trailed 69 65 with 203 remaining. They got steals on four straight possessions, including three in a row by Jared McCain and that was able to clinch the game for them. Brad Brownell and the Clemson faithful were not happy about this. Tim Bure called it the worst game he'd seen officiated in 46 years. Brad Brownell said that the game was stolen from them. What do we make of this game? And is Duke just looking shakier and shakier uh, each time out when we see them?
1: Um, I do not agree with Brad, Brad Brownell. I do agree with you about Duke looking shakier and shakier. Yeah, man, like Duke is hanging on, and they're winning games, and there's something to be said for that. That's ultimately why you play but i also don't feel great about them and some of these matchups that they've had went down to the wire against georgia tech went down to the wire against clemson where they were very close to losing that i also don't agree that the refs took this away from them man like look i i know it's the officiating wasn't great it wasn't even good i agree with that but also there's a lot of fouls going around pj hall also had a couple of free throw attempts to win this game just like Tyrese Proctor did it was all about with enough time which really all you needed was like a second and a half or so but as long as there was just a little bit of time and your team had the ball then you might just get a foul called on the other team if you were attacking and you were being aggressive both teams were and the officials I thought made bad calls on both sides I Brad Brownell saying that the officials took that game away from them I can't get down with that Wes can you get down with that? I,
2: uh, You know, I, I think you get what you earn. We know officials are going to make mistakes in games, yeah. man. We know that. All right. So, count them up, walk seven in a row for them 49ers. They yep. get the win over two lanes, 75 to 71. Igor Milicic balling out double double, 22 points, 13 rebounds. Walking the Niners, man. They're cooking. I think you got to start uh, NCAA tournament dreaming right yep. now if yep. you're a 49ers fan. No, it's here.
1: It's here. I would love to make it. The, the reality is that they have to win the conference championship. So you have to allow yourself to be as high of a seat as possible once you get to this conference tournament. But once they do that, then they have set themselves a foundation to where they could possibly make a run at this thing. Wes, I love what Aaron Fern is doing with the squad. Those players absolutely love him. And the fact that you're now continuing to win these close games, it's a little bit in the same neighborhood of Carolina. And the fact that you can start to trust them now. Oh, OK, they're down 20. They've come back from two 20-point deficits on this winning streak, and so they're never going to be out of it. Even defensively, while maybe ron sanchez was trying to you know preach a certain level of defense that they weren't able to reach on a consistent basis aaron fern is just able to push the right buttons every single game to either have them win outright or come back from 20 points down i love what we're seeing from the charlotte team and wes you're right you can always trust them now it is a real conversation of can they get back to the ncaa tournament it, this is the problem with being a mid-major squad, especially suffering that many losses early, though. You got to win the conference tournament. And I- I'm hoping that they don't lay down once we get to that part of the season.
2: All right, as we close this thing out quickly, uh, NC State misses last 12 field goals of the first half. They only shot 20% in the first half versus Syracuse. That led to a 77-65 loss on the road. Is the thrill gone, Finney, in Raleigh, for the Wolfpack?
3: Uh, ask Kevin Keats. He's the one that spent his Saturday evening blocking state fans. So that's where his program is at. I hate to see it because y'all know as much as I hate NC State and I love trolling them. I like when they're good. It's better for our league. It's better for our conference. But, um, you know, if you're a tournament type of team, you find a way to go win out of Virginia. Even though they have the longest home winning streak in the country, you find a way to win That Syracuse, a team that's nowhere near making the NCAA tournament, I feel like in the next month or so, we'll be finding the list of candidates to replace Kevin Keats and Raleigh.
1: And just when we thought that you could start to trust them at least a little bit, and maybe nobody ever fell for what you might consider to be fool's gold, that was still a big win against Wake Forest, but to drop three straight, Virginia Tech on the road against Virginia on the road against Syracuse, man, you even have a home loss mixed in there too, with a team that you have to beat if you're going to be a tournament team, and it's why you couldn't get gain a ton of confidence in this squad being there at the end of this thing and people were saying well look you know NC State is a good ACC team in a league that might only have a few bids here and there But NC State should be one of those squads, and to lose three straight like that, it's unfortunate for Wolfpack fans, and yeah, this might be the season. If he starts blocking NC State fans and they don't get to the big dance after being a first-round exit last year, after not making it years prior, NC State fans might have just finally had enough this season.
2: All right, very last thing, Duke has a 13-9 advantage over the Hokies as far as their series overall, but the last 14 games inside of Castle Coliseum, have been evenly split is duke on upset alert tonight versus virginia tech
3: on the road you're going yes fitting yeah i'll say yes I, I turned the wrong mic on yep I, I i think virginia tech they're trending towards being a tournament team i think they, I, I think they upset duke
1: well yeah this is the thing about virginia tech they always spoil everybody else's chances and they are on a three-game winning streak as we mentioned being at home, yeah, I think they are on upset alert. Uh, Duke just hasn't separated themselves enough for me to feel comfortable picking them night in and night out.
2: Yeah, I'll pick Duke uh, in a close one. And when we come back on the Western Walker Show, how is Dave Canales' staff coming along, that and a whole lot more. This is the Western Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC.
0: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, And experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. McDonald's is not new to chicken.
1: a text from our friend NASCAR Brad, who checked me a little bit and I think I deserve it. Just at least checked enough to give this thing a second look. NASCAR Brad wrote in, explain to me why that's their only way in, Walker. They're 8-1 in conference, for God's sake. Yeah, he's talking about the Charlotte 49ers. He's, man, I hear you, Brad. I hear you loud and clear. I said that the Charlotte 49ers men's basketball team would probably only get into the NCAA tournament if they won their conference tournament, mm-hmm. which I think I was just kind of going based off of what I thought was logic at the time. And then you go to the net rankings and they have a win against FAU that started this winning streak. FAU in the net right now is 27th. And then you start to look at other teams in the conference, SM, SMU, who they lost to on the road and they just dropped three spots, five spots. I should say, actually SMU after dropping five spots, SMU is 38th in the net, and that was a quad one loss. So you have SMU at 38. You continue to just look at some of the other teams in the conference. Memphis is 66. North Texas is 69. Charlotte has a win against North Texas right there at 69. Charlotte is 95th in the net right now. And so if you get a couple more big wins, you have a game against Memphis on the road. If you are looking for an at-large bid, you're talking about a lot more wins, including one on the road against the Tigers. And you're also talking about a win all the way to the finals, you put it, Fitty, at least in that conference tourney, and mm. then you might have a shot. But perhaps I, I just perhaps I should give more life to the idea that there's a possibility that they could be an at-large team, given where there's some respect with the American conference in college basketball. And it's been rightfully earned Charlotte doing the most for that. Like think about what Charlotte's doing for some of the other teams in the conference as well. I just hope they're able to eat the own fruit that they bear.
3: You know, we were talking about this earlier on, on shot sports today in the old system with the RPI, a seven game winning streak would do a lot for your tournament resume. Charlotte's climbed to 95th, but they've what maybe climbed 25, 30 spots over the over this winning streak. It does not have their
1: jump, but I remember when they had a win last week. It was 102 to 101. Yeah. I'm guessing after this last win, they got to 95.
3: And, and so, like that's the problem with the net system. But you know, like if Charlotte can beat a Memphis, do they do they play FAU again or no? They do um, not. Pl- they don't. They don't. Okay, but if you can if you can beat a Memphis and then you take care of the games you need to win and then you get in the conference tournament and you at least get to the final, you'll maybe you end up with four to five quad one wins when it's all said and done. That could be enough.
1: And it's weird. If you were to be a number one seed and be behind so many of these other teams that are ahead of you in the net, Mm -hmm. then that would be weird. And I know there's a lot of criticism for the net rankings and how they work out. That's horrible. It would be weird. If Charlotte is ahead of FAU, South Florida, UAB, SMU is four and three. And I get get why they have SMU so high up there. But if Charlotte is six teams ahead of them at the end of this, even four, and Charlotte doesn't get an at-large bid with the respect that they've had over some of the opponents that they either lost to on the road or beat, hey, man, I'm actually – thank you, NASCAR Brad, for checking me. I deserved every bit of that on the text line.
3: Is there a legitimate case, Walker, that your 49ers can have more regular season wins than the Hornets when this is all said and done?
1: They're at 13 right now. Yeah, they could. <laughs> they
3: absolutely
2: could. <laughs> so them winning
3: they so, them, right so them
2: winning a regular season championship in the AAC doesn't hold a lot of weight?
3: No. It's not.
1: Not not enough, I don't think. Not enough. For them and and I'm it does for me, clearly hell. I'm going to have them in there.
3: They need to respect past CBI champions more. The net does not Thank take you. into <laughs> account winning the CBI. It doesn't. I never got my T-shirt.
1: Oh, I know. I know. I promise, too. I did look for it. There was one. I actually kind of liked it, but I never <laughs> did get it. But now I can't go get it if they make the tournament. I got to get the, the bid. Actually, I still want to get the CBI. <laughs> what am I doing? All right. Let's move on. Let's talk a little bit more about the Carolina Panthers. It's been a little bit. And I did want to mention some of the staff changes that have been uh, reported over the weekend. And so I think that's clearly the first thing that we have to see from Dave Canales. Now you got to figure out your coaching staff, right? He's expected to lean heavily on his Tampa Bay and Seattle connections. This is a part of Joe person's report on the athletic. I think everybody knew this. Everyone was saying, Hey, watch out for Brad Edzik. And that's still the case. Buccaneers receivers coach, Brad Edzik, who came to Tampa with Canales from Seattle. He's viewed as the front runner for the Panthers offensive coordinators uh, job. And the Panthers have requested to speak with Seahawks assistant, Tracy Smith for their special teams job, Nate Carroll, son of former Seattle coach Pete Carroll also has been mentioned as a strong possibility in Charlotte. And so we have some names that aren't real familiar names. We just don't know a lot about some of the guys that we just mentioned, maybe outside of Nate Carroll, who we only know because he's the son of Pete Carroll. Averro is the real thing here, Wes. Is he going to keep a Jero Overo, or is Averro actually going to go to Canales's old stomping grounds and possibly be the head coach of Seattle? Looks like that job is reserved for Mike McDonald, defensive coordinator for Baltimore. But Averro is still there to be had and did have multiple interviews with that franchise. Wes, what are the chances that Averro actually does come back to Carolina and he serves as the defensive coordinator under Dave Canales?
2: Hmm, that's that's a good question. I think that I don't see him getting a head coaching job, even though he's getting some second interviews. Uh, I'm not saying that he's not deserving like that, but I just... I don't know at this point that Seattle's going to bring him on uh, as their guy because you just talked about how they want Mike McDonald. And then the question is, is Dave Canales going to want to retain him? If I had to bet, if you asked me to a man today, I'd say yeah. I think he'll be back here as a defensive coordinator. I think what he did with this defense as far as their total defense ranking, uh, having them in that top six, seven range, I think is going to be intriguing enough for canales to say hey you know i've already got a guy in house that's got this defense kind of where i'd like it to be and i feel like i'm sure he will probably feel like it can only do better because that's just how he is you know the positivity that everybody talks about so i think that he's like hey this defense has a chance to get even better with this guy the more they keep that continuity uh so if i had to bet today i'd say yeah i think he'll be back
1: i wonder how much of it is actually canalis's call They clearly had conversations about this during the hiring process. Hey, if we welcome you aboard as the head coach, then you can make the changes you want to to this coaching staff, but we would really like for you to keep a Jero Averro. But it might be Averro's call. In fact, it is. He's getting head coaching interest. And now Joe Person asked the question that I do too. Is there a reason that he would leave to become the defensive coordinator for a team actually contending next year? to further enhance the opportunity that he might be a head coach next season. So, if you're successful at Denver, you're successful with Carolina, and then you go to, let's say, the Rams, who he would be a top defensive coordinator candidate to replace Raheem Morris, who now also comes to the NFC South as the head coach of the Falcons. Averro having come up in that Rams system, I wonder if he's the DC for Sean McVay. They're ready to go at it with another Year of Puka Nakua. Matthew Stafford looked great this season, healthy after not being healthy the season prior. Clearly a bigger contender than what Carolina is. I know David Tepper and the Panthers, they're continuing to block a lot of lateral inquiries. They've already blocked interviews for Jacksonville, Miami, and the New York Giants, interested in Averro being their defensive coordinator. David Tepper out here, Matumbo, and all of it. Mm -hmm. But if Averro does decide to leave, say, you know what, I'm I'm good. Like, Wes, part of this is him having interviewed two times now. Yeah. To be the head coach of Carolina, and you gotta take a back seat with a franchise that says, We really like you in this specific spot. We don't want you to be the head coach. We want an offensive guy for that. We really like the job you did here, but I don't want you to become the head coach. That pretty clearly says you're not going to be promoted within this organization. And so I do wonder if you might as well just get out of Dodge right now. One successful year here in Carolina amidst all of the chaos, I I need to run away with my winnings right now and go to a different team. That's what I think Averro probably should do. Selfishly, I want him back. But what should he do for his own job? Yeah, it makes more sense in my opinion for him to leave for a different franchise.
2: Uh especially too when you consider the fact that he hasn't been to the playoffs with either one of those franchises. So I think it's very enticing for him to have the opportunity to go. And uh, coach for a contender, I think that that will put a little more shine on him, especially if he's one of the key reasons the team makes the deep playoff run. And so I think that that would be a uh, big time for him. And so I think that's another thing that could be enticing. that could make him want to go elsewhere.
1: I did see that Averro, you know, is somebody that has also interviewed with Seattle. He's interviewed with a couple of different teams here. Um I, if Tepper is continuing to block some of these lateral inquiries, which also I don't mind, like it's it if it's lateral, then okay, a lot of teams are doing this. There's a reason that this is within the rule book because you don't want to lose valuable assets unless Averro is wanting to go interview with some of these other teams. I get that to a certain degree, but I also understand why you might block some of those. If he was going to get a head coaching job, then you can't block it. And you know, he might just go do that with somebody else. Um, there are some other moves that Dave Canales decided to make, and I put an emphasis on Dave Canales. Wes, Chris Tabor, special teams coordinator that turned out to be the interim head coach, no longer here. James Campen, a respected offensive line coach who was questioned last year because the offensive line was so terrible. But James Campen and Chris Tabor, both of them are gone now. The Carolina Panthers decided to move on. When we read that article on The Athletic from Joe Person and Diana Rossini, they discussed how both of those guys were kind of Tepper's inside men. They were letting him know what was going on and making him privy to some of the dysfunction, some of the, I guess, questions they had about Frank Reich. And it does seem like Dave Tepper highly suggested that Canales keep both of those guys on staff. But Canales is moving on. And you're going to get a different special teams coordinator, and I guess you're going to get a different offensive line coach, What do you make of this? Like, does this show that Canalis is willing to step up to Tepper at least to some degree and say, hey, I appreciate the suggestion. This is the direction I want to move into, though. And I'm going to hire my own guys instead of the ones that you suggest.
2: Yeah, no question about it, because I think that he's saying that, listen, we don't want these rats around. Okay, he's not feeling that he doesn't like that because he's sitting (laughs) there like, well, what if I do something that they don't like or something? Are they going to be running behind and telling me that? I think that, you know, and I'm sure it happens more than you think, but to me, that would almost be a scarlet letter for some of those coaches, what they did, being a a mole like that, so to speak, man. Nobody wants that type of uh, person around them that they can't trust, that whatever they do and say won't be heard by somebody that they didn't intend for it to be heard by, so... No, I don't blame him one bit. And if I came in as a coach, I'd want him gone uh, as well. And if I was another coach for another team, I wouldn't want him on my staff. Well, I wonder, too, how much uh,
1: validity you put into Tony Pauline having this report from the Carolina Panthers. So this coming in again from Tony Pauline. On Friday, the Panthers fired offensive line coach James Campen, who had been with the team since 2022. The team's offensive line struggled and couldn't protect Bryce Young. He was the first picked, clearly. But Pauline said this. I'm also told Campin made a few enemies within the organization as he was the eyes and ears for owner David Tepper in the locker room. In fact, sources at Shrine, uh, Shrine Practice Saturday, told me that Tepper had more than a few people in the locker room who would report back to him on the goings on, (laughs) which destroyed team chemistry. So sure, some of this is at the feet of James Campen and maybe even Chris Tabor. But also, if you're David Tepper, it goes to show you that this guy is trying to go behind the scenes on his own head coach that he hired. Yeah, it's not a great report, if that is true, from Tony Pauline.
2: Yeah, and I mean, and is, it, and is that, if I'm hearing it correctly, there were some players in the locker room, too, if it upset team chemistry.
1: Maybe. I didn't. I don't know if I got that. It just says, just to read it verbatim. More than a few people in the locker room would report back to David Tepper on the goings-on, which destroyed team chemistry. So maybe it's just members of the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope it's not players. Goodness gracious. Yeah,
2: man, that's, that's already stretch, bad enough, man. It's like, come <laughs> on, yo. Like what, are you, like, what is it that David Tepper's trying to find out? Like, that's the thing that kills me. Like, you want to find out who's got a bad attitude or who's talking bad about this or that. Like, that's one of the corniest things I've ever yeah. heard, that you have guys reporting to you what's going on in the locker room. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Uh, and so, Jim Caldwell is staying aboard, by the way. Well, I, and I, I see
1: some people a little worried about this. So, it does look like Jim Caldwell, who was a part of the hiring process, too, does seem like he is going to be, I think, the lone holdover, or certainly one yeah, of Caldwell the few. Caldwell ain't no rat. Well, I mean, honestly, he might be. but, but. I do think, I think it was Dave and Concord who wrote this on the text line last week. Great call, Dave. I believe I'm giving the right person the right credit here. But remember, they wrote in about Jim Caldwell working with Dave Canales. Dave Canales wrote a book alongside his wife. Tony Dungy had the foreword to that book. Tony Dungy, Jim Caldwell, great friends. Clearly Caldwell taking over for uh, Tony Dungy when he was done with the Indianapolis Colts. And so you can make that connection pretty easily. And we just didn't do it before we got that text. I, I wonder, all right, Dan Morgan's here. That allowed Canales to get the job. And also Jim Caldwell's here. I wonder how much that allowed Canales to get the job. At least you have some sort of, like, and we don't have to do the 18 degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like, we can get there with just a couple of uh, indirect journeys, right, to get from Jim Caldwell to Dave Canales hopefully they can be on the same page. I'm a lot more optimistic about that than bringing in Caldwell, bringing in Thomas Brown, bringing in Frank Reich, bringing in Josh McCown, like at least the lone holdover, it feels like does have somewhat of a relationship with the new head coach.
2: Yeah. And he's also, you know, we saw the article, uh, about Ron Rivera and the Charlotte Observer. And he talked about how one of the mistakes he felt like he made early in the process was not having a former head coach to help get him through uh, some of the first year things. And so I think that Caldwell is going to be that guy for Dave Canales. He's going to be that guy that's going to uh, help him bridge the gap, help him learn what it means to be a head coach and all that entails.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, yeah, And, and continuing to, to talk about some of the other staff changes, Brant Tillis will be on his way from the Kansas City Chiefs organization, now working with Carolina as that cap guy after Samir Suleiman is out of the Panthers franchise. And so Brant Tillis, very much structured like San Francisco's front office is, where you have a GM, director of football operations. You also have now, uh, and, and Dan Morgan, you also have the cap guy that helps out with certain contracts and The payroll, you have Brent Tillis to be able to help with that as well. And I'd say bringing that guy over after helping with Kansas City, have all the success they've had, I would say that would be a pretty good hire as well. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. All right, so we went over the coaching staff changes. What does he have to do with Bryce Young to make him an elite QB, which means you have to be in the top half of the NFL. That's still come here (laughs) on Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Walker Sports Radio 927 WFNZ. I have a question for the text line. You can give us your answer at 704-570-9610. Arash Markazi put on Twitter and said, The designated media hotel for the Super Bowl is the Luxor, which will look like a giant Doritos chip for the Super Bowl. Wow. Christian Audi of the Queen City News. He said, If my room isn't stacked with any of the sweet Thai chili chips in it, I'm going full-blown belly idle on that room. See you next week in Vegas. So that's cool from Christian going over there. But what Doritos would you like to have your room filled the OG. with? OG. Nacho cheese. Went- okay, so you want nacho cheese Doritos? Yeah. Uh, where are you going, Fiddy? Are you a Cool Ranch guy? Are you OG? Or are you something a little bit more creative that they came out with a little bit later on?
3: Yeah, 2009 would have been uh, you know Cool Ranch, but in the year of our lore, 2024. Purple bag, spicy chili.
1: Okay, so that's okay. that one is really that one is really popular. I like the Blazing Buffalo Ranch, the dark blue.
3: Really, you mm. like hot stuff?
1: Oh yeah, huge. Uh, yeah, big time. Love the hot stuff.
3: You don't give off uh, the vibes that you eat hot, like spicy foods. Yeah, you foods. don't.
2: Pretty much, we've had. I think we've had. I this think conversation a conversation. A lot. <laughs> We've never thought oh, about
3: that. No, Because you, you got the Nashville hot chicken sandwich with us at Pinkies the one time. We had that show lunch like a year ago.
2: And we've talked about <laughs>
1: – that's right. It was a year ago.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I've got that.
1: And, and we've talked about my love for jalapenos a lot. It's like my favorite food. Love them. I do too. And mm. so I'm, I, yeah, I, I like hot food a ton. This, this is how I gauge how much heat you can handle on your food. At Thai restaurants on a one-to-five scale, what can you eat comfortably without it ruining your meal? That is the best gauge of just how much you can handle the heat on whatever it is you're eating.
3: I've never had Thai, so I can't answer. Now,
1: you've never you should you should have it. It's very good. Thai taste, fantastic. Also like Thai House. Lots of great places here in the Queen City, but a little bit of a different measure out of some of these five, but I'm always a like three and a half because it gets real spicy once you go past three. But it gets to three and a half. All right, so I'm I'm trying to have this like I'm I'm talking tie. Wes is disgusted by something he sees. I don't know what it is, but I see you shaking your head and giving well, all time stank
2: face, well, not listening. The fan at me, the love okay. last night, right? The the thought crossed my mind briefly, even though I knew it was a shot in the dark and it wasn't going to happen. I said to myself, I wonder how much Super Bowl tickets are. So while we were talking about that, you were looking no, at the No, this Super Bowl happened tickets. last night, but I just happened to look and see it. And I mean the cheapest ticket is eighty three hundred. But I'm looking at some of them in the upper deck. You're talking about seats in the four hundreds starting at eleven thousand five hundred dollars. I mean, it's that's I can't even begin to tell you how wild that is. And if my team lost and you get blown out and you pay those kind of prices, <laughs> I believe you should have the right to say personal things to the players. If they get blown out, wow. a blowout, like a blown out. Uh, if you get blown out, I'm saying something reckless if I can get the chance to because you pay that much money. Hell, that, I, I got to say something. <laughs> I didn't expect that take from a former player. <laughs> Yeah, I got to say something, man. I mean, can you imagine how bad that would be? Picture you pay 20 Gs for tickets. That's on you, though. And you go on your team, get smashed. I'm just saying, that's on you. Like they get with Denver and Seattle. Mm. Oh, my
3: God. Now, as a former player that believes that you should be allowed to insult players, they get blown out. Are you drawing the line like a you, know, you can't make a your mom joke? <laughs> Or, Listen, like, you know, there's 20 Gs, you can you, you can maybe cross a line or two.
2: I mean, within reason, besides racial epithets and things of that nature. So so you stop you, the line at racism.
3: Yeah, okay. racism is
2: a bit much. But, you know, if you want to insult a family member or something like that, man, look, you paid 20 Gs, hmm. damn it. And you came out and gave that kind of effort. Are children fair game? Not the children, Wes. He's thinking about the children. it. <laughs> <laughs> there go. Listen, I'm one of them fans. Don't flash stuff. I text my boy last night during the game. I said, I don't want to talk crazy about Barry Sanders. I said, but if they keep showing him he gonna get the smoke too. Um. Why? What? Why is? Wait. Why are the children and Barry Sanders both <laughs> catching smoke from I you? Said, man, when it's going bad for your team, everybody gets it, man. I, I don't care. Fitty, Fitty knows how I'm coming. He know how I'm coming. I think
3: this officially makes West the worst fan of the three of us. Like, <laughs> oh. I've I've said some pretty messed up things, things that are we can't repeat on the air about a, about certain people, but I've never been willing to go after children. Oh. First of
2: all, let's not make it like I'm sitting there like you could you asked me, I was thinking about it. We for a got a tape. But that
3: should have been that should have been a quick <laughs> that should have been a quick um No, oh, hell
2: no. You
1: you thought. That tape is out there, man, and you can't get it back.
2: It is it's not, man. I mean, like I said, if things don't go according to plan against the Chiefs and you flash the wrong people on the screen, listen, man, I can't tell you what a hurt dog would say. Well, okay. I look <laughs> the 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 fact is I'm just interested. <laughs> That's
1: right.
2: That's right. That's right.
1: The segment is complete chaos. That's how it would sound. My question now is, if you were looking up Super Bowl tickets and then you were making that disgusted face, how much would you be willing to spend to go see your team, which is in the Super Bowl? Ooh, like, you are um, living the hypothetical, right?
2: I, I felt if I'm living the hypothetical, I'm doing real well. Let's say I'm— Well, no, have... I'm, I'm saying— Today. Today.
1: Yes, I'm saying right now, oh. Wes Bryant, as you are on January 29th, 2024. I meant you're living the hypothetical as your team literally is in the Super Bowl. A to fifteen
2: hundred, which that ain't getting me. Oh, yeah. I ain't getting outside the stadium Ooh. with that. Yeah, I, mean, I, be... I might have to pay that to tailgate based off what so, these it's prices the are. <laughs> <laughs> the Wes, Wes said, "I'm not going with that." Yeah, I ain't going with that, man. I just watch it at home. I do know somebody who did not have a
1: job at the time that had saved a lot of money that decided to go to game five of the 2016 world series and spent $4,000 on tickets in Wrigley field. And it just dropped all the money. Like that that money was supposed to go somewhere else to help with rent to help with anything else. But once Chicago got to the world series, he paid to go to game five, which is a little dicey because the series could be over by then. Uh. And it was three, one, But then Chicago wins, and it was like the best moment of his life. And, of course, he does not regret that one Money well
2: spent. And and I'm
1: telling you, $5,000 now would make a lot more sense. But back then, that was
2: everything that he had. He's like, all right, I'm just going to be living with mom and pop for a little bit longer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm going to this game. I wonder how much it cost to park at the Super Bowl since Fitty bought that up. I wonder how much parking is. I have zero clue. It's that probably Las about Vegas what you Stadium, said. Do they have a parking lot by the... I don't. I, I feel don't, like the
3: aerial shots, I
2: don't see a parking lot.
3: I don't think so. You probably are. just Uber or walk down the strip to the game.
2: Yeah. Fiddy, I need to hear what your price
1: is. Because it, talking money with you is always an interesting journey.
2: <laughs> Carolina, <laughs> okay. Carolina Final Four National Championship game. What's well, the most you'd pay?
3: Ten grand. But you've loved this
2: before, and it, it's a different time in your life, granted. so mm-hmm. Total for two tickets or just for one?
3: Um, okay, if we're going all, you know, final four and then get the Monday, I'd I mean, be willing to give, I'd be willing to do 15 and, uh, 15 grand, you know, if that happens this year and your boy is in Phoenix, just know that I'm going to be 15 Gs less than what I got right now. Woo! So, so for Carolina 15, the Mets are my favorite pro team. Well, you said your your buddy pay, paid five. Yeah, Game Seven World Series. But, what would you pay? But and also, just to put it in
1: reference, that was probably like ninety yeah, so percent. Yeah, we got
3: we got to count inflation. So like, you know, three hundred twenty eight percent. That's right. Um, I'd probably go for the Mets just for one. Nah, for three games, ten.
1: So you're willing to drive. This is what you say. Game four. Seven.
3: Game <laughs> Seven Mets. What would you? pay? Oh, Game Seven Mets. I would max out every credit card. My dad's credit card. My momma's credit card. So, whatever, because it's the Mets.
1: When I pay you for the Charlotte Hornets bet <laughs> I'm going to lose, I'm not going to give you my credit card, <laughs> which would be an awful decision anyway. But now I especially know that's going to be 75 bucks that I hand to you in cash form.
2: What's your number, Walt? I really don't know. Charlotte 49ers make the national championship. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, and make it, the national championship game Monday well, night against Carolina. There.
3: And you can't low balls because you pay for every – streaming service yeah, you do. and you pay for someone to clean no, up I your do dog not. crap i do not that that charlotte last part and,
2: is true charlotte and the tar heels going at it for the national
3: championship <laughs> he was there for soccer look, <laughs> what you paying? well look
2: i mean i already did this when i led
1: the niners in 1977 <laughs> in Yeah. and nil was not a part of the equation so i wasn't getting paid i had to do it based off my own merit grit and grind and so i don't need to i more, don't
3: need more or less 10 bands I, I'm not. I don't. I'm not spending ten grand on it. Gotcha. I can't. I, really, it's a lie. Okay, the Hornets. The Hornets game seven at Ooh, home. That's a good
2: one, man. Because you at know home. that's a at home. pigs flying pigs yeah. flying type of moment.
3: Like and dude, you you cover the team. Mm-hmm. All they've done is broken your heart. You're not you're not paying 10 grand to, to maybe watch them win a championship.
1: I think at the time like where the world is at that point we're going to be like the Mars Hornets and so I'm just going to have to hop up in a spaceship and then fly up there. Could That's, you
2: imagine a game 7 NBA final at the Spectrum Center? That's hard to even
3: fathom. I was imagining when James Brega was the head coach. Yeah. We were building towards that.
1: We were. We were. We just had <laughs> if, if you know the next step is to lose by 20 in the play in yeah. and then lose by 10 and then get to the playoffs and then lose by 30 but we were on the way yeah and ever since they fired him, they've not been able to get back on track mm. we have another hour to go it's the live wire with josh live wire connect. coming up next sports radio 92 7 wfnz